Well, good morning. This last week, I was thinking through my childhood a little bit in my growing up years, and I was so blessed to come from a loving family, and I had a childhood and a youth full of adventure. And one of the things that was so great was my grandfather and grandmother were uh, sport fishermen, and they fished every summer out of Owaco, Washington, where the Columbia River comes into the ocean between Oregon and Washington. And um, they stayed in a little town a little north of there called Long Beach, Washington, in a fish camp. They had a trailer, and there was about six or eight of my crazy great uncles and aunts that were all part of that big mix. And I spent a lot of my summers, starting at age seven, uh, fishing with them in the summer. I'd live in a big uh, army tent right behind their trailer and just had this amazing adventures in the summertime. One of the things that was so fun about growing up there in the summers was Marsh's Free Museum in Long Beach, Washington. Marsh's Free Museum is kind of like the original dollar store. And for a kid, if you had a couple bucks in your pocket, you could always find something wild and crazy and wacky at Marsh's Free Museum. But it wasn't just a store, it was also this weird museum that had all kinds of strange things like two-headed lambs and all of these kind of curiosities. There was this little section back in the edge of the store, the, the free museum. And in the museum, they had Jake the Alligator Man. Now, this is kind of creepy. It was this alligator with a person's head on it, and it was all kind of mummified, and it was in this wooden glass case about lower, about the eye height for a kid. And so this Jake the Alligator Man, come and see. And as you walked into the museum, there was this big sign over the door that said, seeing is believing. I, I probably still have scars because of Jake the Alligator Man, you know. Just, I have to ask, has anybody ever been to Marsh's Free Museum and seen Jake the Alligator Man? I knew I'd be, oh, You're going through counseling too, I know, I know. I didn't really realize that at the time as a kid that that was probably all put together. Well, it was all put together. But, but I had all these thoughts at night laying in my tent alone in the summer like, would he have person friends or alligator friends, you know? What would he eat? And did Jake the alligator man go to heaven? You know, it's hard to know all these things, right? Um, but really, we live in a world that that is a pretty good motto, that seeing is believing. We're taught in school through our, the scientific method that if it can't be verified in one of the five senses, then it's not real. Uh, so we're very much people who say, if I can see it, I can believe it. That's why it's getting so complicated with deep fake videos and all the stuff that's going on. We're programmed to say, if I can see the thing, it must be real. But the kingdom of God is completely 180 degrees uh, reversed from that culture. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but many things in the kingdom of God are a diametrically opposite of what we're used to in our society. Because in the kingdom of God, really, with God, believing leads to seeing. It's completely backwards than seeing is believing. And today I want to take a look at a passage that really highlights that in John chapter 4. So I'd ask if you could turn your Bible or dial in your, your Bible, please, to John chapter 4. It's such a privilege to be part of a preaching team, a church that has a preaching team. And you probably don't realize this, but, you know, sometimes that team gets together and plans sermons together, like series, and we work together. Many times it's kind of independent, especially in the summertime. So when someone's asked to preach, they just pray and, and kind of see what, to, 
what to pray. But one of the things I love over the years is seeing the Holy Spirit unifying those times when even the preaching team hasn't talked to each other about what they're going to talk about. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's themes that the Holy Spirit's developing that have nothing to do with conversations between this preaching team. And John 4 has been one of those things that just has come up a couple times. I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been around. Wes mentioned John 4 three weeks ago. Katie preached on John 4 last two weeks ago. And it just keeps coming up. And the week before Katie was preaching on John 4, we were talking a little bit about her preach. And there's another part, the last half of John 4, and I, and I said to Katie, oh, man, there is such a good preach at the end of John 4. I can just feel it, you know. And she said, well, i got to pick one. So I did the first part. So Mike called me this week and said, would you preach? And I said, oh, totally. I know where I'm going, <laughs> John 4. So it's just really good about how the Lord orchestrates and the Holy Spirit brings things together. And I hope you're seeing that increasingly in our church. Um, some of the background in John 4, of course, Jesus spent a lot of his time in Judea, in Jerusalem. He had been ministering there. He met with the high-power religious leader Nicodemus, that story in John chapter 3. And then from there, he went to the opposite end of the spectrum, to, to, to the Samaritans, and met with the woman at the well. That's what Katie preached on two weeks ago. And then from there, he went up north into Galilee, which is the area where he grew up in. And that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. Let's just pray together. Yeah, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word this morning. And I pray that we would just dial out the distractions and dial in your sweet and quiet voice this morning as we look at this passage. Just ask you to have your way and be glorified and I pray for transformation this morning because we spent this time together. Amen. So starting in verse 43, John says, After the two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So these opening verses of this paragraph kind of seem like a contradiction in terms. Well, which is it? It says that he's not welcome in his hometown. We see that a number of different places in Scripture where Jesus really couldn't do a whole lot of miracles because I'm sure it must have been like, Jesus, that's like Joseph's boy. He built the table that we have in our front room. You know, I mean, he's very, very familiar with Jesus growing in the area that he wasn't really honored in Galilee. So we get that part, and we know that from Scripture, and yet the Scripture says here that the Galileans welcomed him when he showed up this time. Why was that? Well, they had been down in Jerusalem for a feast. As a good Jew, that's what you did multiple times a year. You'd go down to Jerusalem, and they had seen the mighty works that Jesus had been doing in Jerusalem, and it must have been kind of like, you know, I can see the, you know, the, the, the Gazette that morning, local boy makes good, you know, Jesus Little Jesus who grew up playing, you know, hockey with our sons. This Jesus is the guy who's doing all those miracles down in Jerusalem. So they were pretty excited to see Jesus back in Galilee. Uh, there was probably quite a bit of buzz in terms of what they had seen when they were down in Jerusalem. So there's this strange mix of a society that didn't really take him very seriously uh, through his whole first 30 years. But then when his ministry launched, they all of a sudden got very, very excited and very interested in what he was doing. So then in verse 46, we see this interaction. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water into wine. That was his first miracle that Jesus did, public miracle that he did. 
And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that sometimes Jesus seems kind of harsh. <laughs> There's places in scripture like, whoa, did you really say that? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It seems like there's some times that he's harsh. And I've learned when I have that reaction to dig a little deeper. And in this story, there's this official who uh, shows up. And in this area, this was Herod, the Tetrarch's region. And this person probably worked in some role, official capacity. We don't know if he was a Jew or a Gentile. But he got the word that Jesus was coming up and the buzz had gotten out about this miracle working guy. And of course, he comes up. His son is near death and it's, I don't know, maybe 25 miles between these two communities. So it's probably an overnight walk. And he comes to see Jesus and he makes this request to Jesus. Uh, there was some level of faith in this guy, wherever he was or wherever he was spiritually, to take that trip and to say, okay, this is the solution. He comes and you can see the brokenness of his heart. And you guys that are parents, you, you sense that when a child is desperately sick. You will do anything to see that child recover. You'll give anything. You'll pay anything. You'll go anywhere. You'll let go of anything. You know, whatever it takes for your child, right? So he comes up to Jesus and says, please, please come with me. It's a, it's a pretty powerful language. It's an ongoing almost a nagging request, like, please come with me. My child is dying. And then Jesus comes up with this response, which is, like I said, so harsh in 48. He says, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. Now, this is really interesting to me because what we see is that he's talking to this individual, but he's also speaking about the whole crowd and the whole scene in Galilee there because we know that because he uses the word you in the plural. Now in English, we don't have the benefit of that unless you live in the south of the states when you say y'all, then we know that's plural. We, you is the same for in our language, but he, he uses the plural. So he's talking to this guy, but when he says you, he means you all, all you Galileans, unless you see a light show and a fire show, you're not interested in believing. Um... Leon Morris says of the Galileans, they looked for the spectacular and were linked to Jesus only by love of the sensational. So there was this buzz and it's like, hey, local boy, big shot, we want to be a big shot, let's hang up there. Do a trick, Jesus. Come on, you know, do some of that Jerusalem's magic stuff, right? It must have been a little bit of that going on in terms of what the culture was there and Jesus calls it out. Um, Merrill Tenney says, Jesus had no intention of exhibiting his powers to satisfy their curiosity. <laughs> Have you noticed that about Jesus? If, if people are looking for a dog and pony show, he's not the guy, you know? And many, many times he doesn't play the card, if you want to say that, because people's hearts are not right and they're not ready for what they're going to see. They're looking for a show. And it seems like that was the situation in Galilee that... They were just looking for something to, ooh, you know, back of your neck. Oh, that was cool. That was really neat. Oh, wow. Just like in Jerusalem, right? And Jesus is not going to buy that. So he says this, what seems to be a pretty harsh thing to this dad, but of course he's addressing this whole culture in Galilee. Like, why would I throw away a miracle just so you guys can have a circus show? Yeah. So you start to understand a little bit more where he's at. 
Now we go down uh, in verse 49. And the dad, of course, who's desperate, he, he's really not interested in the politics. He's not interested in the culture. You know, he's not interested in the problems in Galilee. There is one thing on his mind. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And you see the desperation in that. You know, Please, I know this is all screwed up. I know you have... You're doing your Messiah stuff. You know, I know that this, these people need to get straightened out. Just, would you please just come? He's going to die. You see that urgency. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. Now, we're not even in the same town here. He didn't drag the boy there. The, the, the plea was, come with me. I know if you show up and touch the kid and be near him, then, then this could work, right? But Jesus says, go, your son will live. The man believed the word Jesus had spoke to him and went on his way. So Jesus puts this guy in a very unique situation. There's a spiritual crossroads for this official where Jesus says, your son will live. Go ahead and go on home. Take that day and a half walk back and everything's going to be okay. One of the commentators says, Jesus' words impose a stiff test He gives the man no sign. The officer has nothing but Jesus' bare word. (laughs) This is Jesus' style. He does this a lot. A lot of times he will say things that have no connection to what you can see or what you can feel or even to what's going on around you, you know? He'll, He'll do something and people are like, what? You know, in the crowd, people are pushing up against him. He says, who touched me? What? What do you mean, who touched you? We got this crowd of thousands of people pressing to get who touched you. It's just these things that he says and does that don't seem to collaborate with what we can see with our five senses. So he puts this guy in a difficult situation. You think about it from the official's perspective. I know, or at least he had faith, if I can drag Jesus back with me, there's a good chance my son will live. But now Jesus says, it's done. Go ahead and go home. I'm not going with you. you don't, I don't need to. It's finished. So he has to take Jesus at his word and decide, do I go home without Jesus and my kid dies and then that was a mistake? Or what do I do, you know? So we see, probably you can maybe feel a little bit of the pressure, this spiritual crossroads in this man's life when Jesus says, he'll live. Go ahead and go home. In verse 31, um, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke, and he went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. His father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This guy definitely had his spiritual antenna up to ask that. Lots of times we run into situations, even sometimes when we pray for particular things and we see that person get better or that situation change, we go, whew, that was lucky. Dodged a bullet there, didn't we? You know, you don't, we don't think to connect up what God might be doing in the spiritual realm with what took place what a happy coincidence, you know, people will say sometimes. Well, this guy was sharp enough to realize, no, wait a minute, just to the servants, you know, just, just for fun, when did that fever break? When did he turn the corner? And they said, well, this hour. And he realized, that's the moment that Jesus said, your son will live. So you see this faith rising up in this man's life. 
And this really was amazing healing. It was a healing done from a distance. This is what's so powerful about who God is and who Jesus is. He's not limited by time and space. He's not limited by internet or lack thereof. You know, he's not, he's not inter- limited by anything. You know, Paul had handkerchiefs that he t- touched and they sent them off in the mail and people got healed. God's just not limited. So he doesn't have to be in the room. He doesn't have to do a big thing and wave his arms around and get all sweaty. He just says, your son is healed. And he heals from a distance. And this guy realizes the situation there. And it says that he believed he and his whole household. That's the third time it says he believed. But there was something else, I think, going on this third time. He believed. I believe he was saved. I believe he saw Jesus for who Jesus fully was as the God-man, the Messiah on earth, when he realized Jesus spoke that word 25 miles from here, and my boy was healed. You imagine the reunion when he showed back up and his kid was happy and healthy? You imagine the, the testimony he had to his family? I love it in the Word of God when it says their whole household believed. It was a very f- familial society, right? Everybody gets all stoked. He tells them the story, and everybody accepts Jesus as their Savior. Everybody believes in who Jesus is, this healing at a distance. This sign that Jesus did, and that's a real key word, sign, in the book of John, transformed the official's faith, or maybe I could say early on just sort of a raw trust in who Jesus was, into an even greater saving faith. That's the point of why Jesus does miracles. He does miracles so that people might be drawn to him. He doesn't just do them for a sideshow, and that's why he wasn't willing to play the game with the Galileans at that moment. Because I think we see the focus of Jesus, that Jesus was on a mission. He wasn't here to be, make everyone feel warm and fuzzy. He wasn't here to just, you know, do the easy thing and have everybody like him. He was on a mission to save the world and to have people come to true and lasting salvation and back into a relationship with God. He, by the way, he's still on that same mission. He's on that mission right now, at this moment, this morning, in this place, to bring reconciliation between God and people. And so sometimes I think that what we see is that gruffness sometimes in Jesus or sometimes darn rudeness, you know. He says to the woman, you know, oh, yeah, the, the bread goes to the, to the children of the Jews. And the woman's like, whoa, that's kind of harsh. And then she says something in faith, and then God heals her, brings her a prayer request. So he's just so focused and so intent on having people come into a right relationship with God that he's not going to play any games. And he's still not playing any games. And uh, he loves a church that doesn't play games. Let's be that. Let's continue to be a church that doesn't play games, religious games, and try to look good or try to do some stuff that's smoke and mirrors or dog and pony shows. We don't need to do that as believers because Jesus is powerful. He's not limited by anything. We just need to get out of the way and let his raw presence come into people's lives and into our own lives. So it was a cool story. Um, Katie's a chicken for not taking it on. No, no, she did good on the first half. But I, I said, we have got to get to this. This is so good. It's been burning in me for three weeks. And so when Mike called, I wasn't surprised. It was like, oh, yeah, totally get ready. Anyway, what does this do with us? How, like, how does this relate to us? It's a cool first century story. Well, I've been really thinking about this for this last number of weeks. And the first thing I see is that God is gracious with us in our journey of salvation. What do I mean by that? God is a good God. He knows that people come and we grow and mature at different levels. What I mean by that is if you're here this morning or you're watching this morning and you're just checking this out and you're not sure and you're not, you know, do I really have it all? Do I have it all together? These people like they have it all figured out. Guess what? You're in the right place 
Because God is gracious and he's calling you in that journey wherever you are. Whether you've taken a little teeny baby step or you've taken this huge leap toward God, God is gracious and he's a good God. His kindness, the scripture says, leads us to repentance. So the goodness of God is what draws us to repentance. So I just want to say the first thing is that he is gracious in, in our journey. And I see his graciousness to this official. Because really, I believe from the scriptures, we can mature in our belief, in our level of belief. I don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe when we're saved, we're saved. It's, I'm not talking about some kind of process of salvation. When we accept Christ, when we invite him into our life, and we, we sign over the ownership papers, we are saved. We're going to heaven. But I do believe our belief can mature over time, even as we come to the cross and definitely in those years after the cross. And I think we see this man, this official, his belief is maturing right before our eyes in this story. There's three times I think that this gets mentioned particularly. In verse 47, he comes up. So there was some measure of belief, whether this guy was a Jew or a Gentile. There was something that made him, you know, take the trip to go there. Trust or curiosity was probably more than that. So there was some level of belief in his life, right? But Jesus takes it up a whole different notch in verse 50 when he says, your son's healed, now go home. Now this level of belief is this crisis, this crossroads, spiritual crossroads. The man has to decide, am I going to take this guy at his word and turn around? Am I going to act on what is in my head? is another way to say that. And he makes that change. And I think there was a growth in his beliefness, if you want to say, or his belief tank, right? You know, which is exactly what Jesus was up to with the guy. He knew what was coming down, and he wanted to see him take that next step of belief. But there's even maybe another step in his, his journey in verse 54, when he gets back, and he's telling and hugging his kid, and he goes, oh, totally. I see this guy is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. I want him in my own life. And he, and he connects with this personal relationship in all his household. So there's these levels of belief that God goes through. And I think we have to recognize that that's taking place all around us in the spiritual realm. There are people that are checking out Christ that aren't sure, taking these little baby steps. Yahoo, we're there with you. We're for you. We remember our own story. We know what that's like. Hang in there. Stay, stay in. You know, God's drawing you, God's bringing you. But for the rest of us maybe that have known Christ, we're not done learning how to believe. Does that make sense? There's more, I think, that God wants to do. He wants to increase our belief capacity, our storage tank of trust in him. Every day he's still doing that. And he's thrilled to do so in our lives. I think this story talks about a couple of barriers that I see that at least I recognize in my own life, and maybe they'll sort of be recognized in your life. I don't barriers to belief. You know me, I'm not into B's and B's, but too bad. Barriers to belief, right? Uh, one is over-familiarity. So what was the problem with the Galileans? Oh, man, Jesus grew up here. Come on, man. He can't be the savior of the world, you know, Right? that over-familiarity. I think as believers, we need to be careful. We can become over-familiar with God. Uh, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Yeah, you know, that was so 70s Christianity. I know all that stuff, right? You know, be careful about that kind of thing because there is more that God wants to reveal to us. You have not seen it all. I haven't seen it all. I haven't walked it all. I haven't experienced it all with God. There's more. I know that because I'd be in heaven right now if I had. So the reason that I'm on here, that I can fog a mirror, tells me that God still has some more things he wants to show me and do in my life. So, so be careful of over-familiarity. 
I found, you know, this summer I kind of put it on cruise control. And, you know, I was kind of brought back this last week like, is he just too, too over, am I just too familiar with Jesus? And I realized one of the things that really breaks me out of that cycle is worship. I don't know if you found this or not, but when I engage in worship, either you know, just with headphones on sometimes, and, I, and I, I start to see something new about God, there's this whoa factor. You know, the scripture calls it awe or whatever. When we're together, I mean, I felt it this morning. You know, I get the big thrill when the Holy Spirit starts to do that. I cry. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, that's what happens. But I start to weep. Well, I'm starting to weep this morning because I know the Lord is here and he's working. But that kind of togetherness in worship is bringing us into the reality that this is God, universal, all-powerful, you know, and there's new things that open up, and I don't, he doesn't seem familiar anymore to me, even though I've walked with him for, you know, 45 years or whatever. Um, it's new and it's fresh. So be careful of over-familiarity, especially in the summer, at least for me, you know. And then I think there's another piece that I see of as a belief here, um, it's, I just don't know what to call it, but always wanting something from God. You know, the Galileans were like, show us a trick, you know, do something cool, something we'll go, that was fun, you know, something we can post on our, whatever, you fill in the blank, right? Um, we sometimes can get into a rut, we're always just asking something for God. I get into ruts in my prayer time when I realize if I analyze what I prayers for, it's just gimme, 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 gimme. It's all about me. I want this stuff. And we can get into a situation where we're just always wanting stuff from God, and that really will slow down our belief tank, if, if you want to say it that way. Yeah, God loves it when we pray. Yes, we have the ability to bring our needs before God. God is such a good God in that way. He wants to hear our stuff. But that's not all he wants to hear from us, you know? That, that thankfulness, that praise, that just starting the day by saying, Lord, what would you like to say before I say all my stuff? <laughs> you know, just that listening to God and that, that desire to say, again, somewhere in Christian past, we used to say, seeking his face, not just his hand. That was a big saying, you know. Hand meaning give me the stuff, you know. Face meaning your presence. My youngest granddaughter uh, this last week, who's very busy, she's coming five She's always just bouncing off the wall. She climbed up into my lap on the couch and brought a book. And she just sat under my arm, put her head on my chest, and we just read this book together. It was this moment of snuggling, which is rare, with the boing, boing, usual, right? And I just thought that was a picture of who God is and what he's desiring. He's desiring that kind of relationship with us. Yeah, he loves to answer our prayers, give me, give me, I need this, please, God, help Totally, that's part of who he is because he's a good father, but he, he really is desiring relationship and intimacy with us. That's really what he's going after, and that's, I think, what Jesus was trying to break the back of this thing in Galilee was it's not about the show. It's not even about the power. It's about the relationship that God is calling us into in this situation. So I just think that a, a mature belief, a maturing belief is trusting God to step forward in faith even though you can't see the things in your path that only can, he can see. You know what I mean? As If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, it seems like fairly regularly in my life he asks me to do something where I can't see where it is. I don't know how it all lines up. And there's a, he's, he's, 
He's making a, an opportunity for me to trust in him by saying, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I have for you. But you now have to get out of your mind and you have to step out. You have to walk back 25 miles or what, you know what I mean? There's something you need to do, but you don't see exactly how it's going to turn out. God's not a playing tricks on us. He's not, it's not a game with him. It's a way to grow us in our faith and to blow away our boxes. And that happens regularly. Uh, he asks us many times to act before we have the confirmation. It's another way to say that. So God is saying, I want you to go do this, but all the numbers aren't going to add up until you get there. Do you know what I mean? Have you found that in your Christian life? That when you're obedient to God, many times in that situation, you're like, man, this does not make sense. But you're, you're obedient in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You walk into that, and then everything lines up, and you go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I could have never seen that. Well, God saw that because he's, he's the beginning from the end. Um, so I just want to encourage us today in that thinking through that whole issue of, you know, are we living by seeing is believing? God, you know, when you show me all the stuff, when you tell me all the plans, when the checkbook is full, when the mortgage is paid off or whatever, then I'm ready. Or are we living by believing is seeing? Knowing that when we walk in belief, then stuff starts to become clear. That's really, that second way, that's really God's way. And I just felt like this morning there might be some people that this was connecting with, not just me. And I want to invite the worship team to come up right now as we close. And I'll tell you why we do this. Many people, you know, kind of like, why do you always have the guys come up and do music at the end? Well, it's not just because they're really good musicians, which they are. When you hear something like this from the Word of God, and someone brings and opens the Word of God, I just think we need a little time to marinate in it. Don't rush off to what's coming next. And that's why a lot of times we'll do some times of worship in the end. This is an opportunity for you to do business with God and for God to do business with you as you let God massage in what he's shown you in the word this morning. I felt like there were some people here this morning that were at, uh, in their life just as I prayed at what I would call that spiritual crossroads right now. Maybe there are some people that, that God has spoken to you about something he's asking you to do, but you have not yet stepped out into that because of fear or whatever the issue is. I just feel like I'd like to pray for you this morning. Um, so if that's the case, if you're at that spiritual crossroads and you recognize God is speaking to you about something, but you're, you haven't moved in it, would you mind just standing? Because I'd like to pray for you this morning. Don't be embarrassed. This is normal in our Christian life. Anybody in that place where God has spoken something to you and you, you, you're just waiting and you're not sure how it's all going to work out? Thank you for standing. Anybody else? Yeah, I see there's a few here. Yeah, thank you for being honest. Uh, that's wonderful. I just want to pray for you now before we go back into worship. Lord, thank you for these people that are standing, Lord, that have recognized this is the situation in their life. Lord, I just want to start by thanking you to say that thank you that you are the God who sees. You see each person here. You know their situation. But you're not just the God who sees, Lord. You're also the God who speaks. And I thank you that you're speaking to them, that they sense there's something that, you're, that you're, you're tugging on their heart in a particular issue. And I thank you that you do that regularly, Lord. Pray for clarity for them to be able to, to know that that's your voice. Not the voice of the world or the, the voice of the devil or even something they've made up in their mind. But there would be a clarity to know, ah, I recognize the tone of that voice. That's God speaking to me. 
So pray you bring a clarity in that right now, even, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then, Lord, I pray that you would let faith arise. Let faith arise. For those people that are needing to step up but they can't see just what the road ahead is, Lord, would you increase their belief tank right now in knowing that you are a good God and that you will lead them and you will provide for them, you'll provision them, you'll protect them, you'll be there with them all through whatever's ahead in this journey, this thing that you're asking them to do. invite you just to, in your quietness in your own heart, just express those things to God. Just be honest with Him. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come now and just touch these people. Speak to them. Bring the confirmation. Bring the strength. Bring the um, courage that it will take to walk in this. Thank you, Lord. The rest of you could just stand. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is calling us into deeper things. Lord, we're a people that are hungry for more of you and, and, and the deeper things of you, Lord. And so as we wind the summer up, God, to pray for more of that and ask you for your touch among us. Thank you, Jesus.